We're launching a new series, Colliding Worlds. It's a new series. I'm excited about it. And uh, as you go on in life, you start to realize that, um, I don't know, I guess your life is made up of different groups, different social settings, different environments. And there's certain times in life where these worlds collide. They come together. Uh, about six and a half years ago, I managed to convince Leela to marry me. Took a, took a bit of convincing, but we got there eventually, and uh, greatest decision she's ever made, uh, and <laughs> well, that's what I tell her to say, uh, but we got married, and I uh, came to realize, you know, there's a few stressful things about a wedding. Um, the, I thought the p- proposal was stressful enough. Um, after asking the father for permission, that is probably the most stressful part of the whole ordeal. But the wedding had a few stressful moments in it as well. And uh, probably the, the most stressful moment for me was uh, the first dance. That is a horrible tradition. Uh, a whole group of people looking at you while you dance. I had to practice this for about two weeks just to get ready, and I wasn't strained from it. Uh, but the other stressful thing often about a wedding is the, the invitation list and the, and the seating plan. Uh, because on the invitation list and the seating plan, you, it's like your worlds are all colliding together. You've got your, you got your family and then you got the family you want there. You got the family that just show up anyway. You got the you, you got the friends that you feel should be there. You got the friends that you feel obligated to be there. You got your pre-Jesus friends. You've got your now Jesus friends. You've got your pastors there, and you've got all these worlds kind of coming under one roof, and it could all either be awesome or awful. And uh, so the seating plan is really determines whether it's going to be an awesome experience or an awful experience. So you're trying to figure out, would this people be all right talking to these people? And, well, that's that uncle. Who can I sit him by that's not going to be freaked out by the conspiracy theories? So I'll sit him with Kenan because they'll get along quite well. And you, you, start, you start piecing together. I'll put my pre-Jesus friends over here, and I'll put my pastors over here so they don't overhear the stories that we haven't quite dealt with yet. And uh, there's this ordeal because what's happening is your worlds are colliding. <laughs> your worlds are colliding. And uh, in life, as life goes on, you realize that there's actually different collisions that happen. And uh, I guess in the context of this, this uh, series we we're talking about is we're really talking about the reality that we live in a collision of worlds where there's the physical world or the flesh, you might call it in Scripture, the physical world we live in. But then there's also a spiritual world that takes place. And at times there's a collision between the physical and the spiritual where these things collide. And for me, I grew up with a, with a mother uh, who, who was a bit of a Jesus freak, right? My mother was probably, in my life, the most holy person I knew, the most Christ-like person I knew about. I grew up with a mother, and there's certain trauma that comes by growing up uh, with a Jesus freak kind of mother. Uh, for example, the experience of having to sneak out of your own home to watch Harry Potter. Uh, you know, there's certain things that you got to go through as a Christian kid. The Simpsons was scripted by the devil, and so you're not allowed going anywhere near that. So I used to, I used to, I used to sneak to my mate's house to try and keep up uh, with the conversations at school. And uh, But part of that, why we weren't allowed to watch a lot of things, there was a movie my mother decided to show us as kids, uh, which caused more trauma in my life than any other movie I've ever seen. It was a movie called Left Behind. And um, 
for those for those familiar with the movie, it's basically good ordinary people going through life, and then all of a sudden they vanish. And uh, there's this group of people that are left behind because God took all the holy people up to heaven with them. And so there's scenarios of, of, uh, of people on a bus, and then half the bus disappears, and everyone else is sitting there on the bus going, what's happened? Because a pile of clothes are left on the ground. You know, there's all these scenarios. And I, I growing up as a kid, did my best to, to follow what I knew to be the Bible. But as a kid, I didn't do a very good job of it. As a young adult, I'm doing slightly better, but still trying, trying to figure go my way through it. And so I grew up for the next couple of years after watching that movie. Now, I don't think that's probably how it's going to happen, but that this, this uh, movie, I guess, made me aware of this spiritual world that's out there. And then I grew up freaking out. Every time I'd come home from school and mum wasn't home, I'd be like looking around the house like, I got left behind, you know, like freaking out. And then like I'd walk around, I'd find my my brother's clothes on the ground. I'm like, that doesn't count. I'm going before he goes. And you know, like, and I'd, I'd live life freaking out. Why? Because because uh, because I thought, well, man, I missed the boat. And because, uh, but in that time of my life, it actually started because I'd heard stories about God, but it started to make me more aware of the reality that there actually is a spiritual world. There actually is this, this spiritual world, but there's also this, this physical world that I know that I live in, that I operate in, that I wake up on a Monday morning in, and I go to sleep on a Monday night, and there's this physical world. But then they start to understand that actually while there's a physical world, there's a spiritual world that can affect how things are happening in the physical world. There's a spiritual world that has a power, that there's this God and this Holy Spirit, and, and, and these spirits that have a power to actually affect this, this physical world. But then you start to realize there's also things in this physical world that can cause bondage, that can co- cause strongholds in the spiritual world. And there's this big confusing scenario going on for a kid. And so I, I, what we're really looking at at this, at this series is how to find freedom here because what's happening in this spiritual climate actually has a big effect on what's happening in our physical worlds. That not every challenge we face and every scenario we go through is just the result of our flesh and the physical world we live in, that actually some of it is a result. But also, at the same time, there's scenarios we go through and situations we live in that in the physical world is deemed impossible. In physical worlds, it's hard to find a way through. But then you start to understand there's actually the spiritual world that can have an effect here, that can find breakthrough here, that can create solutions here, that can create healing here, that can deliver people here, that can find freedom here. While, while there are true scenarios with true challenges in the reality of our world, there is also a real God and a true Holy Spirit that can have a direct effect and impact. That's why if Christians, no matter what we're facing, we can have a confidence. No matter what we're going through, we hold on to hope. We hold on to faith. We hold on to knowing whatever I'm faced with here, I understand that there is a power that can have an effect here, that can do something here. And um, while I attempt to unlock my iPad, and bear with me too, I'm just resetting from the 3.30, there's this moment in, in Scripture that I, I, I love, this story in the, in the book of Acts. Now, for those new uh, here tonight or those who aren't so familiar with the uh, Scripture, the book of Acts is really... 
uh, it's the starting of the church. It's when the early uh, apostles or disciples, you might know them of, uh, get, get sent out to spread the news of Jesus. Jesus has just died and then risen again. And then he's commissioned the disciples to go out and preach the gospel and heal the sick and free people. And so they're out doing this, establishing the church, and they're doing their work. And so in, in, the, in Acts 5, there comes a moment where their movement is getting momentum. Uh, it's, it's attracting attention. They're now grown to about 5,000 people pretty quickly. And there's, there, there, there's people getting healed. There's signs and wonders taking place. And they're getting all this attention that then the, the Jewish leaders get uh, jealous about. They get jealous because of the attention that's going on here. And so what they do is they decide to arrest the, uh, the, the disciples or the apostles, and they put them in jail. A pretty real scenario. I pretty wake up in the morning and face the reality that I'm in jail because I've just been trying to help some people. A pretty, pretty real situation. But then in, in Acts 5 verse 19, there's this moment in Scripture where it says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. It says, Go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and, and tell all the Tell the people all about this new life. What I love about this scenario is while they were faced with a real physical scenario, how are we going to get out of jail? And then I love to say, but an angel of the Lord showed up. I love the fact that we can be going through life and going, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to find a way through this? But God showed up. How am I going to find a breakthrough here? How am I going to find healing here? How is my family going to come back together here? How is this going to happen? But that's why we can be in this world but have a confidence because when God shows up, when God shows up, locked doors open. Come on, captive people walk free. When God shows up, something can happen. And that's, that's why, as Christians, while we live in a physical world, we have a faith in what the power of God is able to do. He's able to break through when you don't know how to break through. How am I ever going to buy a house in Auckland? Well, God shows up. How? <laughs> There's some real scenarios here, people. How? Why? Because God shows up. God shows up. But what I, what I love about this, this moment here is the angel of the Lord shows up and brings freedom but he also shows up and gives purpose to that freedom. Gives purpose to that freedom. He says, go and stand in the temple courts and let people know about this new life. When God shows up in your life to bring freedom, he wants to set you free, but he also wants to set you on purpose. That your freedom actually has a purpose attached to it. That your freedom isn't, isn't, isn't just for yourself, but God actually wants to put a purpose to your freedom. I... Um, Growing up as a, as a teenager and into my uh, early 20s, I did quite a lot of hiking. And uh, in doing quite a lot of hiking, I got lost a couple of times, and I'm not going to lie. And uh, so I got pretty good at figuring out how to, how to, how to not, I should have figured out how to not get lost. Instead, I figured out what to do when you got lost. Right? And so uh, there's this moment, uh, I was still at school at the time, and at the end of, end of, end of, end of the day, a friend of mine uh, turns to us and says, hey, I've, I found this, this waterfall. I've heard about this waterfall is why he actually said, we should go check it out after school. And I'm like, sure. Now, here's the angry guy of the friend group. Now, every friend group's got the angry guy, all right? Everyone knows of the angry guy in their friend group. If you're like, no, my friend group doesn't have that person, it's because it's you, all right? <laughs> Just informing you tonight. 
and everyone's too scared to say it, right? And, and, and he, this, this, he was the angry guy. Some of you are like, you thought I'd be the angry guy. No, this is the angry guy. And he, he, uh, he takes us down this track, and then he diverts off the track. And because he's the angry guy, we don't say anything. We just follow. <laughs> and so we follow him off the track. We go up a hill, and we go down a hill. We go up another hill. We go down another hill. We start going up the third hill. And at this time, I was getting a bit suspicious, so we worked up the courage to say, hey, man, do you know where we are? He goes, yeah, nah, I lost us after the first hill. And I was like, we've been walking for almost an hour and a half. <laughs> and so we get ourselves lost. And, uh, and luckily, I had a little bit of bush sense uh, because, uh, because I grew up with a family that, that spent a bit of time uh, hiking and all that sort of stuff. And so I'm like, oh, man, we'll find our way out of here. And we start walking. And like an hour and a half turns into two hours, two hours turns into three hours. On about the fourth hour, the sun decides to give up for the day, and it goes down, and then we find ourselves in the dark. And uh, this is a little while ago now, so we didn't have uh, like good torches on phones like you do today. We had Nokia 2280s, and uh, everyone was saving the battery just in case we had to resort to just sitting down and playing Snake. And so we were walking around in the, in the dark, and... There came to this moment about, I reckon it was about 11 o'clock at night. You ever been hanging out with mates and you get so tired, you get so over what's going on, or you just, everything just becomes funny. Like nothing's really funny, but you're cracking up about everything. Anyway, we get to this moment, we're still fumbling our way through the bush, and uh, my friend, the angry one, trips over a log. And as he trips over a log, he just falls face forward into the ground. And it's the funny time. So we all crack up laughing. <laughs> he jumps off his feet, comes running straight at me, and he's got blood down his face. And, he's, and then, you know that moment when you're hanging out with friends, everything goes from being real funny to real angry. Like everyone just gets, it's like a switch. And it just turns to anger. We're yelling at each other. I'm like, you're an idiot. You brought us out here. He's like, you're a big idiot. You followed me out here. And we're in this debate. And then I, in protest, go, that's it. I'm just going to lie here for the night. And I just lie on the ground. Just lie on the ground. And then the other two guys just lie down next to me, and we're just lying there in, in, in the bush. And, and this guy goes, oh, well, I'm, I'm out of here. And he just storms off into the dark. I'm like, Jesus, be with him. But he also brought us out here to die, so I don't really care. Just do, do what you do. And uh, we lie there for the rest of the night at, at about sort of 4.35-ish, the sun starts to come up, so we, we jump up and we start walking. And I kid you not, we walk about 100 meters. We walk about 100 meters and the car's right there. Right there. I was so annoyed we gave up right before. We, got, we, 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 we found what we were looking for. Do you know what annoyed me the most, though? So when we got to the car, the heater was on, and our friend was in the front seat with the seat back just lying there asleep in the car. We were so close to the car, he literally would have had to sneak in the car for us not to hear it. He would have had to open the door and then softly close the door and turn the heat on and lie back and go to sleep. He left us lying in the bush all night and just snuck into the car to enjoy the comfort of it. I was like, if you had it just said, hey, the car's here, or pressed lightly in the center of the steering wheel, not even apply too much pressure, the car would have made the 
noise for you to let us know. But And I was thinking about this a little while after the fact and thinking actually the reality is a lot of us, whether we, we like it or not, admit it or not, actually live our Christian life quite similar to that. We find a way out of our hurt, our sin, our mistakes, our bondage. We find a way out. But then we live our life sneaking around with our Christianity. And there's people just over there. Why we've got the answer. Oh, sneak in here on a Sunday. Now sneak back to work on Monday. And we live this life just enjoying the comfort of our Christianity. But all along, there's people just over here that if we would just open our mouths, get a little bit uncomfortable again, walk around and say, hey, you might not realize, but just over here is the answer you're looking for. Just over here is the hope you're after. Just over here. Why? Because our freedom has a purpose to it. Yeah, there's a time where we just get to hang with Jesus. That time is coming. I'm looking forward to it. But at why I'm here, my freedom also has a purpose to it. It's to help other people discover what I've discovered, find what I've found, come to know what I now know. And I don't want to live a comfortable Christianity, just enjoying the comforts of my salvation and leave a whole lot of people lying in the dark. There's a time in our life, in our Christianity, where we've got to put purpose to our freedom. And say, I've been set free, but from this season and this time, my freedom's about helping other people find what I've found, discover what I've discovered. And we want to be a church. We need to be a people that don't just enjoy the comforts of our salvation, but we live a life that's saying, hey, the answer is here. It's here. And I, I love this moment because they get set free to live on purpose. And their freedom brings about their purpose, but I'd also say their purpose helps them discover more about their freedom. As they pursued more of the purpose of God, they realized how free they really were. I might be imprisoned, I might be in jail, but I'm free. It's their purpose that discovered, helped them discover more about their freedom. And so what happens is, is they get to this moment where now they're free, so they go into the temple courts and do what the angel said, and they start preaching the gospel again. And then they get dragged back into jail. The people go looking for them. Where are they gone? They're gone in the temple courts. So they drag them back, and they're trying to decide what to do with them. And, and there, there comes this consensus that maybe we should just kill them. And all, all they've been doing is healing people and spreading the news of Jesus. And there's this moment where a guy stands up amongst the crowd of, of, in the court and says, hey, other rebellions or other revolutions have risen up, but every time the leader gets killed, it just falls over. But if the thing is of God, you're not going to be able to stop it. And so in verse, uh, in verse, there's this debate going on. And so then they appeal to Peter and the apostles and say, why? What, what, we Didn't we tell you not to do this? But I love Peter's response in verse 29. It says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. And it does come a time in life where you're going to decide what you're going to obey. 
Are you going to obey God or human reasoning? Are you going to obey God or your own wisdom? Because there's times when, when what, what is happening in the physical collides with what God's saying in the spiritual. When God's saying you have freedom, but the situation around you doesn't seem. You've got to decide what you're going to obey. Are you going to obey what the physical has to say about your situation? Or are you going to obey what God's saying? And I love the disciples' response. No, we're going to obey God. We're going to obey God. Anyway, this guy convinces them to not kill these people. So in, in verse 39, it says, but this is what the guy's saying, but it, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged and had them ordered not to speak of the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left rejoicing because they had been found or counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Now you pull me off the street, beat me up, and let me go for no reason. I ain't walking away singing this is how we party. Like, that's not the party I want to be a part of. They walk away rejoicing. See, what inspires me is what they were willing to go through so that we might now know the gospel. What inspires me is that they didn't live a comfortable Christianity. They didn't just enjoy the comforts of knowing Jesus. They lived a life determined to let people know about God. It inspires me what they were willing to do, but what challenges me is how they walked away. They walked away rejoicing. I, I remember reading this a couple of weeks ago and God challenging me, just saying, hey, how, how's your walk away? They found themselves in a situation where they were unfairly treated. They were beaten for no reason. They were doing the work of the Lord. And they found themselves beating, but their walk away was rejoicing. Their walk away was forgiveness. Their walk away was the sweet spirit. Their walk away was to can just continue on the mission they were on. And I remember God just a few weeks ago saying to me, come on, how's your walk away? That's a question I want to ask you tonight. How's your walk away? Because sometimes life will put you through situations. And there comes times where the scene might change. The question is, have you walked away from it? And how have you walked away from it? It's things we go through, disappointments, we go through situations, we go through hurts, we go through. And while we might physically walk away, who knows there's times we don't really walk away. Like... You know, like, you ever had someone steal your car park? It's like dinner at that night, you're bringing it up still. I can't believe they stole my car park. Leela's like, shut up about the car park. <laughs> you know, we struggle to walk away. But, but there's, there's other things in life like that. I can't believe they said that about me. They said it five years ago. You know, you catch up with those people. I'm like, man, have we not gone over? The, why? It's, it's not because they're bad or not because we're, we're, we're wrong. It's just because, well, why the situation happened here in the physical world 
Sometimes we still get caught up here. We get bound here. And there's things that happen here that bind us here. And although the situation might change, we struggle to walk away. We walk, we struggle. You know, there's that saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I don't know. I've been in some scenarios. It's probably too many. Where I'm like, yeah, no, I thought I was going to see Jesus early innings. And, and I didn't walk away stronger. I mean, I, part of the, 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 the place I grew up in, I grew up in a, in a, in a paradise in a place called Thames. And what Thames has is it has big, big mud flats. And uh, it's beautiful. And if you like mud. <laughs> uh, and the tide would go out and it would expose, it would just turn into like kilometers of mud. And at the end of my friend's farm was part of the mud flats. And he, he, had, a, he, had, a, he had a father who, who would tell us, hey, don't play in the mud. And now we're a little bit rugged. Now, if, if you're telling a five-year-old, sure, that's a fair comment to make. But when you've got to tell that to 15-year-olds, they've probably got a bit of a problem. And so we're 15, like, don't play in the mud. Anyway, he, he, we go to the back of the farm one day, and we're standing there looking at the mud, and we're like, how far do you reckon you could get? <laughs> I'm like, you know, and it's the banter, and we're like, all right, let's see if you can get the furthest without chickening out. And so we start wading out into this mud and uh, the reason he told us not to play in the mud is because if you got stuck in the mud, the tide would come in. When the tide comes in, you'll drown. And, that, and so <laughs> it was fair advice. And so we're, we're out there. We start wading out, wading out into the mud, and we get to about waist deep to realize his dad wasn't lying. You do get stuck in the mud. And so we're there now, both of us stuck in the mud. The smarter thing would be not playing the mud. The other smarter thing would be for one person to stay on the shore and we just have turns. But we decided to do it together. We're in this together. And uh, we wait out and we find ourselves stuck. And then the tide starts coming in. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Jesus, you know, I've seen the Left Behind movie. Like, oh, I'm freaking out. And, um, and, then, and then, anyway, we managed to figure out if we could starfish, so we managed to starfish, and then, like, then like squirm our way back a couple hundred meters on the mud. And, but the thing is, it didn't make me stronger. It didn't kill me, but what it did is it made me afraid of mud. I was 17 years old and still afraid of mud. <laughs> Why? Because sometimes we go through situations, and it doesn't make us stronger. It actually makes us weaker or it makes us more afraid or it makes us worry or it makes us unsettled, or it makes us bitter, it makes our heart hard when we don't learn the art of walking away. That's what I love about the disciples is, is, is they got beaten and they didn't walk away saying, well, we'll show them. Just watch, we'll show them. They didn't. They walked away rejoicing. They walked away with forgiveness. They walked away in love. Come on, they walked away just focused on the mission. They walked away. But I know there's been times in my life where I haven't walked away. Or I've walked away, but I haven't walked away right. And because of how I've walked away, while I might be free here, I'm still bound over here. It wasn't until I went to Bible college you know, the slogan got me, give God a year. Suck me in. That was 10 years ago. Look at it, I'm still here. <laughs> Part of it is it exposes all your rubbish. 
<laughs> well, that's not on the brochure. <laughs> Come to Bible college, you'll deal with your mess. But for me, man, one of the biggest things Bible college did for me is that it surfaced an unforgiveness. The situation was well over. It was from when? Uh, between the ages of 7 and 12. Well over. And I, I was 20, 23 at the time. And while I had walked away, I hadn't walked away. And there was an unforgiveness. And I want to say, come on, we need, to, we need to look to God to learn how to walk away. Because the scenario might change, but if the problem's showing up the same, it suggests to me to say that maybe you haven't walked away. I want to say there's a few things. I want to just ask you, how have you walked away from, come on, have, how, how have you walked away from what they said? How have you walked away when things didn't turn out the way you thought they would? Have you walked away rejoicing? Man, it's so awesome it didn't work. It's just what I thought wouldn't happen. You know, like you walked away. This year's going to be the year for the Chiefs. Nah, okay, next year. You walk away, disappointment. Come on, how, how have you walked away? Because sometimes how we've walked away here determines how we walk into over here. You see, how, how you walk away from one situation will determine how you walk into a next situation. How you walk away from one relationship will determine how you enter your next relationship. And often people go through experiences of bad relationships. And while that might be over, they walk into the other one, carrying the hurt from this one. And there's scenarios in life where things happen, when hurts are real, unforgiveness is real, things go on, disappointment is real, but we can either sit in it or we can move scenarios. But we need to also discover the freedom that can be found, that they got beaten but rejoiced. I love the fact that they could rejoice. There's something powerful about praise. I believe it's pivotal that they left rejoicing because there's something about praise that resets your perspective. And as you praise, your perspectives change. And as you get a new perspective, you understand, oh, okay, God, I, I didn't understand now, but I see what you're doing there. And you can walk away lighter. You can walk away freer. You can walk away with, with hope. Praise is a powerful thing. It reminds you of who God is. Because while there are real situations here, there is a greater God over here that is able to work in, in, in miraculous ways. There's different things we need to learn to walk away from as well. I'd say we've got to learn to walk away from even successes. Some people still gloating about that thing they did 10 years ago. So come on, mate. <laughs> and, and, and what a success has done is now it's built a pride. And while you're, you're carrying on with life now, because of the situation, you've ado adopted a pride in your heart. That's what I love about Peter. That Jesus calls him by catching a miraculous catch of fish and then says, all right, let's walk away. It would have been the best day fishing in Peter's life. Fishing was his business. It was his best moment in business. His best moment in providing for his family. He had the best and most stable income of that moment. Jesus said, all right, let's walk away. But, but what about the fish? <laughs> no, let's just, let's just walk away. 
And I'm not saying, hey, tomorrow, let's all just walk away from what we're doing, eh? <laughs> Resign, why? Because the preacher said walk away. No, <laughs> I'm saying that there's times when you're going to go through things. And there's times where God needs to come in and say, hey, it's time to walk away from that. It's just time to walk away from that. And I feel like for some of us in this room, there's disappointments, there's scenarios, there's hurts. And while they were two, three years ago, you're still afraid of the mud. For some of us, it puts a fear. And now we're carrying around fear. But I believe there's power in God to set us free. That's the good news. That while there might be stuff we lug around, there's moments in God when God comes and highlights situations and say, hey, I'm going to help you walk away from this. I mean, Jesus gets hung on a cross and, and, and then looking down at the people says, God, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I mean, talk about a walk away. You hang me on a cross. I ain't going to be that polite about it. I'm not. But there's times where, where I know I've struggled to walk away, but that's why I don't do it in my own strength. I, I don't do it, okay? It's not like the disciples had a team talk, all right? They've been awful, but, you know, let's just try and, let's just try and love them anyway because the Bible says I have to. It wasn't by that spirit at all. It was, oh, no, we understand the freedom we have. We understand how good God is. We understand the power of our King. We just understand Jesus. We understand God. And it's through that understanding, because of their praise, it brings perspective to their situation. And I, I really feel there's, there's even moments when Jesus will come and help you walk away. I, I, I love Peter in the Bible because you can just relate to him so well and uh, I love how when Peter for those who know scripture denied Jesus three times then Jesus goes on to do his, his thing and then I, I love the fact that Jesus comes back to help Peter walk away from that mistake actually when the, Jesus comes back on the scene one of the first things he does is, oh, I better go find Peter. Peter's fishing, does the old fishing trick again. Peter realizes it's Jesus and comes running to the, to the shore. We know the story. Jesus, over a meal, says to Peter, because Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus come back and, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Get it through your head. I love you. You know, like... But I love the fact, and then he goes on to speak back into the purpose, the mission, and commissions Peter, and speaks about the purposes of Peter. But before, before he goes and releases Peter back into the mission, he takes a moment to help Peter deal with what he'd just done. Because he knew perhaps if he didn't say anything, Peter might still try and boldly pursue the mission, but Peter will always know that he denied Jesus. He'll always know in the back of his head what he had done. That he had made a stupid decision. Under pressure, made a mistake. But I love that Jesus came back to reconcile the situation so Peter could walk away. So Peter could walk away.
that's what I love about God. Is while there's different scenarios and different situations that we've struggled to walk away from, that's what Jesus does. Is He comes in to bring healing. He comes in to bring reconciliation. He comes in to bring wholeness so you can walk away. But not just walk away and enjoy the sunlight. Walk away on mission. Come on, walk away back on that purpose. Walk away back into that dream. Come on, walk away into that direction God's called you to live. Because sometimes it's our own mistakes even that we struggle to walk away from. It's one thing to walk away from when somebody's hurt you. It's also another thing to learn how to walk away when you've hurt somebody else. And later on, you're like, oh man, I let them down. It's conversations I've had with people and they want to engage back in the mission and dream of God, but because of how they've let people down in the past, they're afraid. Why? Because they haven't walked away from their own mistakes. But Jesus comes in. Come on, do you love me? Yeah, I love you.